Hey guys, welcome back to Pop Culture Confidential. I'm Christina Yerling Biro. So you asked for it, and here it is. It's time again for our annual summer fall movie preview. We'll get you all caught up on some of the most noteworthy releases heading your way this year. And we're seeing a lot of well-known names coming to cinema, from Tarantino to Scorsese to an Elton John biopic and the much-awaited Toy Story 4. And what can we expect from the big festivals this season? Someone I've really been looking forward to speaking to is Claudia Puig. She is the president of the L.A. Film Critics Association, and she's a critic on NPR's Film Week, among other places. And since we have Claudia Puig and all her industry knowledge with us this week, I also wanted to ask her about the major battle between the Writers Guild of America and the talent agencies. As of about a week ago, more than 7,000 writers have fired their agents as part of this battle, according to a report in Variety. And this, of course, has huge ramifications for the industry. And I'll ask Claudia Puig about this dispute and what it means. Claudia, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Um, Before we get into the conflicts and consternations of the Hollywood writers and agents that I want to talk to you about later, let's talk a little bit about the upcoming movies that um, you're buzzed about looking forward to and maybe not even so much looking forward to. (laughs) (laughs) So um, what do you see are some of the themes materializing this year? You know, it's funny. I'm not seeing the themes that I would expect to be seeing, which, you know, um, it seems a little escapist. And maybe it's because we're living in such grim times. Um, But there's kind of a return to the past and nostalgia. I mean, you know, there's always kinds of um, there's always remakes and, and reboots and sequels. But I feel like this summer particularly has a whole lot of them with Toy Story 4 and Men in Black again and Lion King and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood in a way is, you know, is obviously looking back. I, I, there's, a, there's some of that. Um, maybe we're, you know, tr- kind of trying to hold on to better times. <laughs> yeah, sort of be- <laughs> but... <laughs> before pre-Trump era exactly. happiness. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you'd expect to be seeing some more sort of politically tinged dramas, and I, I'm not really seeing those. Uh, there's a there's a fair amount of stuff about about media and the press, uh, which there has been even prior to Trump, you know, with Spotlight and movies like that. But um, you know, later in the year, there is a movie uh, called uh, The Laundromat by Steven Soderbergh that's about uh, journalists, you know, uh, who are kind of unearthing uh, corruption. But in general, you know, we're seeing like cats coming back and, you know, and Lion King, cats, there's a theme, it's cats. Right, right. Um, <laughs> big and little. What do you make of all these sort of musicals, sort of cats and, and Lion King and, 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 and Disney remakes like Aladdin and things like that that are coming? I was watching the trailer for, for um, The Lion King and it basically looks exactly like the animated movie. Yes. I don't really it, uh, understand that. <laughs> yeah, with Beyonce, though. Beyonce yes. has everything, Well, that's great. I guess. <laughs> you must take your place. In the circle of life. Yeah, 
to make of that. Um, you know, Lion King has been has had so many iterations, starting out, of course, as an animated movie, and then it was on Broadway, and it was a big hit there, and now this. And I think, you know, people can't get enough of Lion King, perhaps. And and the voices are, you know, great. I was just watching Seth Rogen on Stephen Colbert last night talking about he's uh, Pumbaa. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, that's all that is. I think it's fun to see that, but it it does seem a little backward looking, um, you know, um, in terms of originality, I'll tell you the, the movie I'm most excited about, or at least I've seen it. So I, I can tell you it is fantastic and it's original and it's brilliant. And that's book smart. Oh, right. It's Olivia Wilde's directorial debut. It stars Beanie Feldstein from, oh, uh, from Lady Bird. She's great. Mm. She gets her starring role here. I mean, you, you know, in Lady Bird, you felt like you, you wanted to see more of her. Mm-hmm. And you do here. And it's about a friendship. It's basically a story about a high school friendship between two really smart girls. Um, and it's kind of one of those one crazy night comedies, you know, where it's, but, and I have to admit, I'm kind of a sucker for those. And going oh, me back too. To, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like everything that can go wrong does that kind of thing. Um, so it's kind of in the vein of like a super bad, a little bit, but maybe super bad meets ladybird. But again, I, I hate to, you know, sort of, um, diminish it by, by comparing it because it's really brilliantly written, written by women, directed by a woman, starring women. It's the, the kind of girls high school comedy that we haven't seen yet. We've seen so many about boys. Um, so it, it's, it's hilarious. It's touching. It's smart. Um, I got to see it last week and I, it comes out just in a couple of weeks, May 24th. Oh, I can't and, wait for that. And that's that her directorial debut, like right out of the bat, making a great movie. Yes. Hmm, that's incredible. Yes. It's amazing. It, it um, premiered at South by Southwest and it got a great reaction there. And then they've been, you know, advanced screening it and everybody seems to be loving it. I think it already has like a 98 or hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Is she in it? No, she is not. No, she just, just directs it, which is nice. You yeah, know, like yeah, she's really it's cool. She has some really nice visual flourishes and some really innovative, creative things that she does in the course of it. It's, I mean, she really proves her chops as a director, oh, which is cool. really impressive. We have to go to a party tonight. What? Nobody knows that we are fun. We didn't party because we wanted to focus on school and get into good colleges. And it worked. But the irresponsible people who partied also got into those colleges. I'm incredible at hand jobs, but I also got a 1560 on the SATs. We haven't done anything. We haven't broken any rules. Name one person whose life was so much better because they broke a couple of rules. Picasso. He broke art rules. Rosa Parks. Name another Susan one. Susan B. Anthony. God damn it. Picture this. I'm a bag of dicks. Put me to your lips. Hand sanitizer. Check. Chapstick. Check. Mace. Listen, it is very important that you keep the safety. Oh! Now, what do you expect of um, Rocket Man, the Elton John biopic, sort of post-Bohemian Rhapsody? I don't know what to expect about. I was not a Bohemian Rhapsody fan. Me neither. <laughs> Good. <laughs> um, yeah, I just felt like, you know, I, you know, it was funny. People who, who liked it said, oh, but the music was so great. It's like, well, then just listen to Queen music because... <laughs> My point, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and I, you know, in terms of actors, Taron Edgerton, I mean, you know, I, he's not even a Robbie Malik level actor. Mm-hmm. So I find it hard to, and, and Elton John is still with us and is such a, you know, uh, iconic, vibrant person. It's hard to imagine anyone really taking him on and doing a good job. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So I don't, I'm, you know, I haven't seen it. So I, I guess I should reserve judgment, but I'm not, I, I have, uh, I'm leery. I right. guess. One can't yeah. imagine that it'll go just as, I mean, the music is, you know, for me, even better <laughs> if you're an Elton John fan. So, I mean, if, if people are going to it because they don't have a Spotify account, well, I hope they go to this one. <laughs> Exactly. I mean, yes, he's all over my Spotify. And, and for me, the music is better, too. So I guess there's that. But then, I, you know, I also remember I was not a fan of Moulin Rouge. And there was some, you know, Elton John music there, among some other music that I loved. Um, so I hope that they don't ruin it. I guess that's my other fear is, you know, his music is his voice is so iconic. The lyrics by Brittany Top. And I mean, everything about that, that, you know, inspired duo. And I, I I don't know. I guess I don't know enough about Taron Edgerton, but it's not like, you know, someone who you've been saying for years, wow, he reminds me of Elton John, you know? Right, right. <laughs> so I don't know. So how does a fat boy from nowhere get to be a soul man? You gotta kill the person you were born to be in order to become the person you want to be. I'm thinking of changing my name to Elton. But that's my name. Yeah, I know. So how does it feel to be a star? It's never gonna last. Let's just enjoy it while we can. First sleeping arrangements, kiddo. All of this is gone. I just hope you realise you're choosing a life of being alone forever. Don't you want to just sing without this ridiculous paraphernalia? People don't pay to see Rich White. They pay to see Elton John. Sorry. I know. How much pressure I'm under? Not really. I'll still be collecting my 20% long after you've killed yourself. Well, I hope it can be a little bit more brave and, in my opinion, a little less homophobic feeling than the Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah. That's my hope. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was my big problem. With, yeah, it really whitewashed or, or straightwashed him. And um, it was just a very straight-ahead biopic and a very... I, I thought, you know, not, doing nothing original, except maybe the Bohemian Rhapsody scene, but that was, yeah, it, it, it just was very generic. No, yeah, like someone said, it was a Wikipedia page filmed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, you were mentioning, there's a few, um, you know, big older names here coming up. You were mentioning Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. What do you, what do you think of this one? I'm excited about it. I'm always excited about Tarantino movies. Even when I, even when I think they are more misses than hits, I love to see them. And, um, you know, he's so talented and when they, when they hit, they really hit. And I love a Hollywood story. I do too. Yeah. I'm kind of a sucker for those too. Although they've been done very badly as well as well. They have. Um, but, <laughs> but I also, you know, taking 1969, the Manson family, I'm old enough to kind of remember that. So, um, yeah, I, I'm really looking forward to that. And of course, Brad Pitt, Leonardo DiCaprio. I mean, all that's fun. Um, and the rest of the cast. And I, yeah, I think the the you know trailer looked good. Everything about it. I'm I'm very excited about that one. It's comes out uh, July 26. To my right is Bounty Law series lead and Jake Cahill himself, Rick Dalton. And to my left is Rick Stunt Double Cliff Booth. So, Rick, uh, explain to the audience exactly what it is a stunt double does. Actors are required to do a, a lot of dangerous stuff. <laughs> Cliff here is meant to help carry the load. Is that uh, how you describe your job, Cliff? What, carrying his load? Yeah, that's about right. <laughs> <laughs> 
no, that one's definitely, you know, very top of my list. Another one that I'm really excited about that played at Sundance, and unfortunately I missed it when I was at Sundance, but I heard nothing but good things, is Late Night with Emma Thompson and Mindy Kaling. Right. And which Emma Thompson plays a late night talk show host, which is fantasy in itself since there are no, you know, really prominent women late night talk show hosts here. We have Samantha Bee, but that's, you know, not at the same level as some of the others. But anyway, Mindy Kaling comes in as her the first woman writer because she's always had male writers and uh, there there's some cultural and, and generational gaps there and they're both you know I, I'll see anything I'm Thompson is oh, in and oh, Mindy Kaling mm-hmm. so really looking forward to that one who are you I'm Molly mm-hmm. I'm a new writer that's our show everyone I came to tell you this year is your last what they can't replace you if everyone loves you Do none of you understand what is at stake here? I am being replaced. Think about why the show is bad and come up with ways to fix it. I wish I was a woman of color so I could just get me a job I want. We talked about this, you can't say that. I know what everyone thinks of me, but just because I was lucky enough to get this job doesn't mean I'm stupid enough to lose it. Another sort of media-related, which I think is much later in the year, but I think sounds really interested is the interesting is the Fox News Women movie, the Roger Ailes starring Nicole yes. Kidman and a whole bunch of huge names. Um, yes, and it seems like there's a TV movie also coming about Roger Ailes with Russell Crowe. And there was a documentary last year about Roger Ailes. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, he's, you know, maybe that's where we're seeing some of the politics or, or some of the, you know, I really do think it's focused much more on the news side of things, which, you know, we know how Fox News is driving the presidency. I mean, they're pretty much, you know, his advisors, his closest advisors on Fox News, sadly. Um, so I think, you know, and now that Roger Ailes is gone, it's prime time for that. Um, and I think that Focusing on the women is a brilliant idea. Um, the documentary covered some of that, and you know he really was the architect. I mean, we we tend to think of Rupert Murdoch, who of course was you know the financial end of things, and I'm sure it was his you know it was his perspective. But at the same time, Roger Ailes was the one who sort of thought, oh, let's put you know traditional values with you know beautiful blondes and short skirts, and you know like he he came up with this idea, and he he goes back to. I think he was a um, advisor for Nixon. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. and he was the one who kind of wanted looked at him and said, "You need an image update," which he did. Um, but anyway, it's I think those are that one's going to be great. Yeah, um, I love that these huge stars. I think if I'm not, it's Nicole Kidman definitely. I think it's Charlize Theron as well um, in that movie. I mean, I love that they're doing these sort of ambivalent uh, these women who you. I mean, I think I love that they're taking these roles. Very much. But, I, you know, Charlize Theron, I think she basically, her wheelhouse is the world. I mean, she there's nothing, she, she does everything well. There's nothing she can do wrong. I just think she's probably the most brilliant actress working right now. Mm. Um, going back to Tully, which a lot of people didn't see. It was so different from anything she'd done before. Um, and also starring Nicole Kidman, there's another movie I'm really looking forward to, speaking of Nicole, um, called The Goldfinch, which is based on Donna Tartt's book, which was my favorite book when it came out that year. It was an amazing book. I don't know if it's filmable, but we'll find out. Um, Nicole Kidman, Sarah Paulson, who's also really great. Ansel Elgort, Jeffrey Wright's got a great cast. And the director is John Crowley, who directed Brooklyn. He did a great job adapting that book. Um, so I'm, that's coming out in September and I'm really looking forward to that. Now that sounds like an Oscar front runner, if anything. Totally. Yeah. Totally. It sounds like Oscar bait. Yeah. I mean, there are a few of those coming out. There's one, um, 
uh, with Melissa McCarthy, Elizabeth Moss, and Tiffany Haddish uh, called The Kitchen, which sounds a little bit like Widows, because um, it's about uh, the female, about women who are married to mobsters suddenly, you know, the, or they're jailed and then they're carrying out some of the crimes. Um, so I, you know, those, the cast is those three women together, Melissa McCarthy, Elizabeth Moss, and Tiffany Haddish. Yeah. Does it get any better? <laughs> There's so many strong women again this year, because there was, it was a good year last year also. So let's keep this ball rolling. Well, that may be it. Yes, absolutely. And that may be the theme that we're looking at, um, or it may be that those are the ones I'm focusing on, but, um, you know, starting off with Lupita Nyong'o and us, you know, kicking things off and people were already talking about Oscar nominations for her with the dual role. I think, you know, I think it's a really strong year for women. And maybe this is the trickling down of Me Too and Time's Up, um, you know, where are women finally getting enough power to, you know, uh, produce some of these projects as well. But um, another one is Renee Zellweger, who's playing Judy Garland in the biopic Judy. Another music, right? Music, you know. Yeah, very much so. And then there's a um, Harriet Tubman uh, story uh, in a biopic called Harriet um, that's coming out. Cynthia Revo is in that. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a strong year for women. Mm -hmm. Cool. Um, before we move, I have to ask you about another one of these uh, oldies but goodies. It's Scorsese um, and the Irishman. Yeah. Um, yeah. I know it's a Netflix movie, but I'm sure it'll be in. in I'm I'm feeling a little bit worried about the fact that they're de-aging Pacino and De Niro, but I, I'm still looking forward to this. Um, I mean, they're de-aging them like 50 years or something instead instead of taking other actors to play. But but what do you think of this? And, and the thing is, we've seen what they look like 30, 50 years ago. So yeah, It better be that, good. It better be good, yeah. Well, you know, if there's anyone that can pull it off, it probably is Scorsese, so at least it's in good hands. Um I'm excited about this one. You know, Netflix is just making so many smart moves. And I'm sure, you know, people have been saying, if you thought they put everything behind Roma, just you wait until Irishman, because they're going to pull out all the stops in terms of, you know, they want that Oscar win. Mm -hmm. um, and they came so close this year, and it was deserved as far as I was concerned. And I went to Green Book. I... Oh, my God. Roma was a masterpiece. That, yeah. Roma was a masterpiece. Yeah. Well, so get me. Green Book is something completely different. But yeah. no, the opposite of a masterpiece. <laughs> yeah. So that was that was an abomination. But anyway, <laughs> um, so, with, you know, in terms of Netflix and, and, you know, their desire to be considered, you know, much be a part of the race, the Irishman is certainly, I think, at the forefront of that. I understand you're a brother of mine. Yeah, yeah, glad to meet you. I heard you paint houses. Yes, I do. But yeah, I have some concerns about that de-aging thing. Um, but it's nice to see, you know, Scorsese back in the turf that we know and love him in the gangster uh, films. And uh, yeah, it'll be really interesting to see. And you know, it's funny because they also Netflix announced recently that they're going to make um, Hundred Years of Solitude, which is uh, Marquez has never allowed it to be made into a film. 
I can't wait for that. I know. I can't wait for that. And that's also something to be a bit nervous about. Yes. Yes, it is indeed. Whenever they adapt a beloved book, especially a book that is so epic, it's always, yeah. But that's (laughs) amazing, the the, um, respect that Netflix has gotten that they get something like that with someone who hasn't allowed that for decades to happen. Yeah, I mean, who is taking these meetings? I know, I know. Wouldn't you love to be a fly on the wall? Uh, I don't know. They sent Quaron in there with some. <laughs> you know, I know. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, and it makes sense, though, when you think about it. I, heard Quar- I did a Q&A with Quaron, and he was talking about how, you know, if you want more, the most people to see your film. Mm. And I, I know um, Ava DuVernay talked about that after Spielberg was saying, you know, it went on his sort of anti-Netflix tirade or anti-streaming tirade. Um she was saying, you know, I've had made all these films with big studios, but the my the film that got the most viewers in the most countries was the documentary she made for Netflix, 13. So if you really want, you know, people around the world and people who might not have access to, um, you know, a movie theater or a big screen or wherever, you know, you go to a streaming service, you go to Netflix, and, and they give you so much creative control, so much artistic uh, control, control. So you know, why wouldn't people like Guadon and Scorsese go with them? Mm-hmm. No, no, no. I think that's. I mean, that and that's one of the big questions now with Cannes, for example, because none of them are going. What right. they're doing is very. That sort of whole debacle is very interesting to see how that it will is. move. Well, it's funny. Cannes, you know, there, you you're seeing sort of the old guard bumping up against the future, and you know, Cannes is so mired in tradition and and. Um, and again, you know, looking at older filmmakers, um, even someone who, you know, is still innovative, like, like Spielberg, but I, you know, it's, we have to embrace the present, Mm -hmm. (laughs) let alone the future. And, you know, I, I think that's, these are the last breaths of, you know, sort of, uh, opposition to that. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure, um, I mean, that Roma would have won count. If it would have. Oh, it would have. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, for Ken also, that's a, must be a big disappointment. I mean, that's sort of what they're living on is, is having those Oscar movies and getting the, you know, being ahead of the pack of all um, festival season. Do you think it's losing some of its luster? Um, You know, I, I look at sort of Telluride in Toronto and Sundance sort of gaining more luster. And I think can, you know, in Venice and, and Berlin and some of the other festivals, it seems like Cannes is, is fading a little bit. You know, I was just thinking about that because when the Cannes, the lineup came, like it was, it was 10 days ago or something, and it's, there started becoming articles, I noticed that like 90% of the articles, the, the, what they were saying at the beginning of the articles was who was not going to be there. Instead Interesting. Of, so I was thinking this yeah. is a different, I mean, this is like, yeah. So in that sense, I felt very much they're losing their luster. Yeah. And the past yeah. few years when I've been doing these type of Oscar shows and, and, and film shows, it's always been the Telluride movies that have gone on to get tons of nominations. Yes, absolutely. I, that's where I first saw Roma was in Telluride. And, it, you know, I, I saw it five more times after that, but it was, it absolutely shook me in a way that I can't remember the last time a movie did. It was mm-hmm. just, you know, I tell people not only was it my favorite film of the year, it was my favorite film of the decade, I think. Um, but yeah, all the best films were at Telluride. Um, and is there anything else you'd, you'd like to mention that I've forgotten before we go on to the sort of... You know what? Yeah. Um, Greta Gerwig's movie. She's adapting, of course, um, Louisa May Alcott's classic Little Women. And I love Greta Gerwig. And mm. I thought Lady Bird was, was you know... 
such a brilliant movie, such a personal movie. Um, and I've liked her performances. I've liked her writing. And um, so I'm, I'm excited about that. Um, of course, the Tom Hanks playing Mr. Rogers in A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. That's another Oscar bait one. Right, right. Um, uh, those are those are some biggies. Um, and the laundromat that was um, that's the Soderbergh one with Meryl Streep and Gary Oldman and Antonio Banderas. There's a movie about Downton Abbey. I'm curious how that's going to work. I mean, Julian Fellows who created the series about Downton Abbey, or well, it's no, it's it's taking it's Downton Abbey. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was Yeah, yeah, documentary. Um, but yeah, so I'm curious how that's going to go. And then there's a, another adaptation of a book that I really liked called Where'd You Go, Bernadette? Mm-hmm. Um, and Kate Blanchett stars in that. Um, so I'm looking forward to that as well. And even Men in Black International. I, I like the pairing of Chris Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson. I love Tessa Thompson. She's another one who I think can do, you know, most anything. Um, so yeah, there's there's a lot of good stuff coming up. And I've just kind of, you know, scraped the surface of it, I think. Um well, that's interesting. I love that there's so many female directors and, and, and interesting sort of ambiguous roles for women to play um, this year as well, as it seems. As it yeah. Is. Yeah. And I guess the other, maybe one other theme would be, you know, the end of certain franchises like Avengers and then Star Wars, both in the same year. So that's kind of interesting. I, st- I still don't think they're going to end it, but I'm okay. No. <laughs> they- <laughs> and we still have all those other characters in their movies. So. Yeah, not really the end. Yeah, <laughs> but let's call it that. As long as they can squeeze more money out of that exercise. Exactly. <laughs> but before I let you go, I wanted to ask you a little bit about the um, the big Writers Guild um, talent agent conflict that um, it seems to sort of have potential to really um, disrupt the whole industry. Um, as of yeah. the last thing I read in in Variety was that seven thousand writers have um, left their agents, which yes. is just an, fired their agents. Uh, yeah. yeah, fired. There's a huge amount. Could you just briefly fill us in on what the conflict is about and, and, and where, what does this mean going forward? Yes. Yeah, and and uh, 7,000, I think there's a total of like 10,000. So that's a lot. That's a um, lot. Yeah. <laughs> it's basically about this, packaging deal that agencies have done what's happened over the course of years this is not an overnight phenomenon but um show creators and writers have gotten less power and agents have have gotten more there's an association of talent talent agents and um the wga filed a lawsuit against the biggest agencies like caa and um ICM and all the four biggies, I think it is. And it's about money, but it's about who gets the money. So what that they're doing is sort of basically the talent agents have everything. They have the actors, they have the directors, they have the writers. And then that means that they're sort of own everything and not giving. Exactly. And and the writers and the showrunners are not sort of getting the amount that they should be getting in that package. Right. That's right. Yeah. Um, And so, you know, they took a vote. That what basically they have a code of conduct that would limit these agency practices, mm-hmm. and they want the agencies to sign on to this code of conduct. No agencies have done it. So in the meantime, they said, you know, once you do that, we'll rehire you. We're but fine. in the meantime, yeah, they wrote a very sort of polite letter, uh-huh. <laughs> and um, uh, you know, nobody. So it's a standoff right now. So how are these seven thousand writers maneuvering getting work now? That's a really good question. Um, 
I have heard that they're like you go on the site and it's almost like a like a word doc where they offer they're saying well, there's this job and this job and this job and it's it's done in a pretty you know do it yourself fashion now um, so they are getting work but I think um, you know they're there they'll be like postings for jobs that you know um, that the that the Writers Guild is trying to help people with mm-hmm. um, but it's, I'm, I'm sure it's touch and go, and I don't know how long they can hold out. But it's really interesting the amount of, of power, um, or, or at least the amount of respect that the guild, something like a guild, still has. Um, that so many people yeah. were behind this. I think the vote, the first vote, the writers voted like 98% or something to yes. actually go through with this. And then 7,000 people have fired their agents. I mean, you don't see a lot of. Um, unions and guilds having that, you know, in, in this day and age. That's a really good point. Mm. Yeah, that is a really interesting thing. The Writers Guild has always been a pretty powerful one. Mm. Um, and, you know, remember the Writers Guild strike and everything. So, I, yeah, that's very true. Probably mm. more powerful than the DGA. And SAG is fairly powerful, too. But, um, you know, writers never get the respect that they deserve. Sometimes don't get the money they deserve. So I think I'm married to one. I know all this. (laughs) Yeah. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. (laughs) No, but it's true. And I hope that that means that when everyone is together in something like this, that, that it will pay off. Um, And, you know, I mean, if the demands are good demands that this will, you know, play out and that the, that the talent agent will make, whatever necessary adjustments for this to happen. Yeah, I, I hope so too, because basically what the guild wants would dramatically affect how, how the agencies do business. Mm-hmm. And if they're already doing business in a way that's bringing them so much money, I think they're going to fight it tooth and nail. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know, I would love to see, I would love to see this settled in favor of the writers, of course. Right. And if this drags on, do you see any, any repercussion? I mean, that will sort of the regular viewer out there will notice anything? That's a really good question. Um, eventually, I think. I mean, so many things have already, you know, that have been written are already in the pipeline that we're watching. But I think it could. And, and it certainly did during the, the writer's strike. Um, so I think it it could. Um yeah, I mean, unless studios, I, I'm not even sure how this is working. Do our studio, if studios are being, you know, going around it and hiring writers without agencies, um, you know, how? What I would like to hear more of, and I haven't read much of this, is how, um, you know, people who do the hiring, how the studios are feeling about all of it. We know, we know how the writers feel, and we know how the agents feel, um, and. I was reading something where a showrunner who's on a cable series was saying how, you know, they're in the middle of staffing season and he's a showrunner and he needs writers and it's, you know, not a good position to be in. Um, But he believes in, you know, nurturing and paying people fairly. And it's, uh, so it's, it's a symbolic thing, but it's also, you know, important in terms of, of compensation. Yeah, it was interesting because so many writers on Twitter the day when they started firing their agents were writing. It was very interesting because their their Twitter, they were saying, I love my agent. I've been working with him for 20 years, but I have to stand by 
my right. fellow writers yeah. and guests. So it was it was in a way kind of beautiful. It was like yeah. it's not it's not personal, but we have yeah. to sort of band together in this. And exactly. I, I guess I'm feeling sort of nostalgic in this political age that we're in, that people are actually doing something, working together yes. and making some Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, it was interesting because yesterday um, the firefighters union endorsed Biden mm -hmm. and uh, Trump had a hissy fit. Of course, he has hissy fits, you know, regularly. Um, <laughs> but he was, you know, saying, well, of course. Blah, blah, blah. But so it shows that, you know, again, this is, you know, this is just an endorsement. It's not an action, but it's still, it, you know, unions still do matter. Mm -hmm. And uh, it is it is really nice to see that. And I, I feel the same way you do mm -hmm. that, you know collectively, you know, we like to think change can happen. And especially, you know, the, the case that the agents are making is, is pretty bad. I mean, they're saying, oh, yeah, we don't make that much money on packaging. And, you know, we're taking a risk, too, when we package these things. But no, you yeah, know, no. that's, yeah, no, not really. And they're getting, you know, they're getting money from so many different sides. So, <laughs> well, when we talk again uh, post Telluride, I'll we'll see if anything has happened, and I'll, I'll, you know, ask you again. <laughs> yes, yes. So hopefully we'll have uh, some positive news to discuss at that point. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> Claudia, thank you so much for your time and for this oh, great thank roundup. You for having me. It's been great to talk with you. Thank you to Claudia Puig, president of the L.A. Film Critics Association. And thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a great time at the movies this year. So you can subscribe to Pop Culture Confidential anywhere you get your podcasts. And if you have a moment, please rate the show. Send us your thoughts on Twitter, at PodPopCulture, or to me, at Christina Biro. This show was edited by Julia Scott. See you next time. Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.